Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my co-host, who is looking exceptionally Slytherin today, is Katie. You know, you wear one green shirt. I mean, I'm not complaining, but damn. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 7, the Ministry of Magic, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. We continued our magical ministry tour, and our hero is still somehow confused by how magic works. Kingsley and Arthur played their roles of sassy co-workers who can't really stand each other perfectly so as to throw off any suspicion about their bromance. News of political fuckery reaches Mr. Weasley conveniently just in time for him to be too late. And, after a desperate dash through the Department of Mysteries to get to his completely suspicious hearing, Harry is told that he has to go in alone, which is somehow not against any type of wizarding law. Hmm, weird. During episode 129, Wishful Dinging, our Potter pondering was, what department would you like to work for or just visit in the ministry the most? Hey Ellen, hey Katie, Jackson here with this week's pondering. What department would I work in or visit at the Ministry of Magic? Well, as we all know, I'm sports mad. (laughs) Being an Aussie, you know, I'm all about that footy. (laughs) But so, yeah, I'd work for the Department of Magical Games and Sports, you know. I'd probably be head of the department after Bagman took off. (laughs) Yeah, as for departments I like to visit, International Magical Cooperation, International Wizarding Law, yeah, yeah, that's my pondering. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Which department in the ministry would I like to work at or visit? And I would have to say the Department of Magical Law Enforcement so I can work with Arthur in the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office. And I know that JK liked to describe stuff as lame and boring, but to us regular folk out here, all that should be popping. We'd be like, damn, I want to go there. Y'all can't tell me it wouldn't be fun to watch a fucking regular ass teapot spitting boiling water that motherfuckers they don't like. That is funny. I want to see regular people searching their house for tiny ass keys that kept shrinking so they couldn't find it. Them dustbins at Moody House would have had me rolling on the floor laughing. Come on now, that shit is funny. Hi, it's Max. I would work in whatever department is in charge of the memos that used to be owls, and I would spend all day folding paper airplanes and making them fly. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what was Mrs. Fig's full name? Her full name is Arabella Doreen Fig. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! Wonder who's going to win this week? Uh, We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 8, The Hearing, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 8, The Hearing, Part 1. 
Harry gasps when he enters the dungeon and realizes it's the same one he had seen the Lestranges sentenced to Azkaban in Dumbledore's pensive. The dark stone walls are dimly lit by torches, with empty benches to either side of him, but in front of him, at the highest benches, are many shadowy figures that fall silent as he enters. A cold male voice rings out to inform him that he's late, and Harry nervously apologizes, explaining that he didn't know the time had changed. The voice tells him that isn't the Wizengamot's fault. He was sent an owl that morning. It also orders him to take a seat, and Harry glances at the chair in the center of the room, with the arms covered in chains. He walks towards it and carefully sits down. The chains clink, but don't bind him as they did to the ones he saw in the pensive. Feeling sick, he looks up and sees about 50 witches and wizards, dressed in plum-colored robes with an elaborate silver W on the side of the chest. Cornelius Fudge sits in the middle of the row, with a broad, square-jawed witch with short gray hair and a monocle to his left, and another witch that is on his right, sitting so far back her face is in the shadow. Fudge makes to start the hearing, now that the accused is finally present, and calls down the road to see if another member is ready, and Harry looks down at Ron's older brother, Percy, as he responds that he is and poses with a quill in hand over a piece of parchment. The minister begins the disciplinary hearing of the 12th of August, sharing Harry's name and address, followed by the interrogators, Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister of Magic, Amelia Susan Bones, Head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, Dolores Jane Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Minister. As he is listing Percy Ignatius Weasley as the court scribe, a quiet voice interrupts him from behind Harry, announcing a witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Harry quickly turns to see the headmaster calmly striding across the room in midnight blue robes. When he reaches Harry, he gazes at the minister, who looks very flustered as he stumbles through asking that Dumbledore got their message about the change in time and place. Dumbledore cheerfully states that he must have missed it, but that by lucky mistake, he arrived at the ministry three hours early. Still flustered, Fudge says they'll need another chair, but before he can send Percy to get one, Dumbledore conjures a squashy chintz armchair and sits next to Harry, causing the Wizengamot to mutter and fidget restlessly until Fudge begins speaking again. He reads the charges from a piece of parchment, declaring that the accused, knowingly, deliberately, and in full awareness of the illegality of his actions, having received a previous written warning from the Ministry of Magic on a similar charge, produced the Patronus charm in a muggle-inhabited area in the presence of a muggle on August the 2nd at 23 minutes past 9, which constitutes an offense under paragraph C of the Decree for the Reasonable Restriction of Underage Sorcery, 1875, and also under Section 13 of the International Confederation of Wizards Statute of Secrecy. He addresses Harry and confirms all this information, without giving him any opportunity to say any more than yes, but, before he's cut off for the next question. Harry manages to get out the start of an explanation before the monocled witch to Fudge's left expresses her shock that he can produce a fully-fledged Patronus, and states that it's very impressive. Several other witches and wizards seem to agree with her, 
though others are frowning and shaking their heads. A testy fudge speaks up again to point out that it isn't a matter of how impressive the magic is, thinking that the more impressive it is, the worse it is. The frowning wizards seem to agree with Fudge, and when Harry sees Percy give a little nod, it goads him to speak up, blurting out that he did it because of the Dementors. He expects more muttering, but everyone falls silent until Madame Bones asks what he means. Harry explains that there were two Dementors in the alleyway that went after him and his cousin, but before he can give any more details, Fudge interrupts him again to say that he was expecting they would be hearing something like this explaining to a confused Amelia Bones that he figures Harry decided Dementors would make a nice cover story since muggles can't see them, making it very conveniently just Harry's word with no witnesses. Harry again bursts out that he isn't lying and tries to tell them what happened, but the minister again cuts him off, insincerely apologizing to interrupt what he is sure is a well-rehearsed story. At this point, Dumbledore clears his throat and informs Fudge that they do, in fact, have a witness to the presence of Dementors in that alleyway, other than Dudley Dursley. The minister's face slackens before he appears to pull himself together and attempts to tell Dumbledore that they haven't the time to listen to more taradiddles. Remaining pleasant, Dumbledore says that he's sure that under the Wizengamot Charter of Rights, the accused has the right to present witnesses for his or her case. He addresses Madame Bones to confirm this, and she says that is perfectly true, giving Fudge no choice but to agree to hear from the witness. Dumbledore says that she's right outside the door, and Fudge sends Percy to fetch her. He returns a moment later with Mrs. Fig, still wearing her slippers, and Dumbledore stands to offer her his chair before conjuring another one for himself. The minister asks for her full name, and she introduces herself as Arabella Doreen Fig and explains that she's a resident of Little Whinging, close to where Harry Potter lives. Madame Bones tells her that they have no record of any other witch or wizard living in Little Whinging, and it has been closely monitored given past events. Mrs. Fig tells her that she is a squib, so they wouldn't have her registered, and Fudge eyes her suspiciously, requesting she leave details of her parentage with his assistant, and asks if squibs can see Dementors. Mrs. Fig indignantly insists that they can, and Fudge coolly asks for her story. She begins by telling them that she went out to buy cat food shortly after nine on the evening of the second, when she heard a disturbance down the alleyway between Magnolia Crescent and Wisteria Walk. She starts to say that when she approached the mouth of the alleyway, she saw two Dementors running, when Madame Bones cuts her off to sharply point out that Dementors don't run, they glide. Mrs. Fig blushes and quickly corrects herself, saying they were gliding down the alley towards the boys. The monocled witch asks her to describe them, and Mrs. Fig begins to say that one was very large and the other rather skinny. Madame Bones again interrupts her to say she meant for her to describe the Dementors. Again embarrassed, Mrs. Fig says they were big and wearing cloaks, and Harry feels a sinking in his stomach, worrying that it sounded like she'd never seen anything other than a picture of Dementors. Some of the members of the Wizengamot begin whispering and smirking when Madame Bones asks if Mrs. Fig has anything else to add besides big and wearing cloaks, and Mrs. Fig begins to describe how she could feel them, 
saying everything went cold on a very warm summer night, and she felt as though all happiness had gone from the world and remembered dreadful things. She trails off as her voice shakes, and Madame Bones's eyes widen as she asks what the Dementors did. With more confidence, Mrs. Fig tells her about how they went after the boys, one of whom had fallen on the ground as the other backed away and tried to repel the Dementor. She explains that that one was Harry, and he tried twice and only produced silver vapor until the third time when he made the Patronus and chased the Dementors away, lamely ending her story by stating that was what happened. Fudge aggressively asks her if that's what she saw, and she again says, that was what happened. The movie scene starts out focusing on Harry, looking startled as a gavel sounds out, and Fudge's voice declares the start of the disciplinary hearing. The camera cuts to the minister sitting atop his raised bench, surrounded by the entire Wizengamot, as he continues listing information about Harry and those presiding over the hearing. The camera shifts back to Harry, who looks around, extremely uncomfortable, while Fudge's voice continues listing those involved. He is cut off by the loud announcement of the arrival of a witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. As the headmaster himself strides into the chamber behind Harry and towards the bench, Harry smiles as Fudge stammers to Dumbledore about getting the message that they changed the time and the place of the hearing. Dumbledore says that he must have missed it, but arrived at the ministry three hours early by a happy mistake. Fudge initially stares at him in suspicious silence, but when the old wizard requests to know the charges, the minister declares Harry to be accused of knowingly and in full awareness of the illegality of his actions, producing a Patronus charm in the presence of a muggle. He asks if Harry denies producing the Patronus, and when Harry says no, but attempts to explain himself, the minister interrupts to ask him if he is aware that he is not allowed to use magic outside of school while under the age of 17. Harry says yes, but again is not allowed to explain any further as the minister begins to address the witches and wizards of the Wizengamot. This time, Harry is the one who talks over the minister, informing that he only did it because of the Dementors. A muttering breaks out among the Wizengamot, and one witch questions there being Dementors in Little Whinging. Fudge speaks up to declare that the claim is quite clever since Muggles can't see Dementors, and calls it highly convenient. Harry insists that he isn't lying and begins to give details about the situation, but Fudge halts his explanation, saying he is sorry to interrupt what he is sure to be a well-rehearsed story, and comments on how he can't produce any witnesses for the event. At this point, Dumbledore again speaks up to correct the minister, informing him that they can produce a witness. The scene cuts to Mrs. Fig occupying the chair that Harry had been sitting in, as the witch from before asks her to describe the attack. Harry is sitting off to the side, looking very nervous, as the witch specifically asks what they looked like. Mrs. Fig begins to explain that one of them was very large, and the other rather skinny. Fudge clarifies that they don't mean the boys, they mean the Dementors. And Mrs. Fig says, right, before describing them as big and cloaked. At first, they aren't very impressed with her description, but she continues speaking, saying everything went cold, as though all the happiness had gone from the world. It is amazing how similar these are. 
Mm-hmm. Yet the movie still managed to leave out everything that I really liked about this section. It usually does. <laughs> I'm noticing that to be a theme. <laughs> Yates. Ew, David. Ew, David. <laughs> so the first thing that was missing. Mm-hmm. The chapter starts off with Harry realizing he is on trial in the same place he saw the trials happen in Dumbledore's pensive. That doesn't help assuage any fear he's got going on. Not even a little bit. (laughs) No. But there also was nothing about the movie that looked like the previous movie where he saw those trials. No, no. Because it was all dark stone in the movie. It was that dark tile. But in Goblet, when we saw the trials, it was like all stone and wood. And it looked more like the book described it in this one with the dark stone walls dimly lit by torches. Yeah. It was also cluttered as fuck with everything. Mm -hmm. And this was just this super stark, sleek looking. Nope, that's not what I pictured from the book. Yeah. No, this was like almost medical. Yeah. Like medical grade clean. Yeah. It was very upsetting. Not what I pictured. Mm -hmm. Another obvious difference that we talked a little bit about last week is that this cold male voice rings out immediately like, you're late. And we know from episode last week that in the movie, Harry wasn't actually late. He still had the five minutes to get there while already on the elevator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was still ready, steady, go. So, But in the book specifically late totally called out on it immediately and harry's just like i'm sorry we didn't know the time changed and then this asshole of a voice is just like that's not the wizengamot's fault you were sent an owl this morning like that's okay Mm. you cannot change the time and place that a hearing is being held the morning of and still expect them to be able to get there on time that's just fucking bullshit yeah and not to mention it's not even the fact that they changed it at all they changed it to an earlier time it's one thing if you change it to a later time sure that's understandable but they did this specifically oh yeah this was absolutely 100 percent calculated yeah there was no winning in this case not even a little bit there really wasn't the voice then orders him to take a seat and the only chair that harry has the option to sit in is the same one that he saw all of the prisoners be led to by the Dementors in the pensive that has the chains that would then bind them the moment they sat in them. So I can imagine Harry is just absolutely thrilled to walk over and sit in this chair. Yeah, again, he's not feeling real good about his chances right now. No. Not only is he starting it off getting yelled at. (laughs) This is all intimidating as fuck. Yeah. And it's messed up because he's by himself. The fact that they wouldn't even let an adult be with him. Ah, that's not okay. It's fully shitty. Ugh. But being Gryffindor, he's brave enough to walk to the chair and take a seat. Mm-hmm. The chains like clink menacingly, but they don't bind him, which probably makes him feel a little bit better. Yeah. I don't know if that's enough to help because he still feels sick. Right. But he may have actually puked if that happened, so... Probably. And then, you know, he couldn't move anywhere because he's tied just to all the thing, so it would have just been right, yeah. His freshly laundered clothes. Right. You would have had to hope for some projectile to get it on <laughs> I mean, it may just... have been bad enough for that. Yeah. <laughs> Pea soup. Mm-hmm. But he looks up. 
and there's about 50 witches and wizards all sitting on these benches above him in a row, row after row, mm-hmm. wearing plum-colored robes. And there's an elaborate silver W, which I imagine stands for Wizengamot, since they are the Wizengamot. What? On the left side, so it's over their heart. Sometimes you're so logical, it just makes me cry. (laughs) (laughs) However, did you work that out? I know, right? I'm so smart. (laughs) Why am I not in Ravenclaw? (laughs) Corny Fudge is in the very middle. Mm-hmm. Like the judge's seat, I would imagine. Yeah. And he has this broad, square-jawed witch who has short gray hair and a monocle sitting to his left. That's badass. Right? I love this image of her. Right? And then on the other side of him is another witch, but she's sitting so far back, you can't actually see her face at this point. But they make sure to mention that because mm-hmm. this bitch gets to make an entrance, so to speak. Yeah. That's one way to put it, for sure. <laughs> and Corny Fudge decides it's time to start the hearing now that the accused is finally here. And he says it just like that. The accused is finally present so we can get this hearing started. He's such a dick. Oh, I hate him. Fudge. Fudge. <laughs> but he calls down the row to ask somebody if they're ready. Mm-hmm. And Harry's just, like, super shocked when he hears a familiar voice and looks down in the direction Fudge was speaking to see Ron's elder brother, Percy. Hey, I know that guy. Yeah. Percy, who completely ignores Harry in any way, shape, or form and just says he's ready and poses with his quill over a piece of parchment. To be fair, I'm sure it wouldn't have looked good had he acknowledged him in any way. Even if he wanted to. Oh, I'm not saying that i expected him to yeah but considering how close they'd been in the past because he stayed at his house and they went to the quidditch world cup and just a number of times that yeah traveling together and all of that stuff i'm sure he expected recognition yeah so i'm not surprised but harry was but harry definitely was now we've already established that my logic is impressive and (laughs) i should probably be in ravenclaw harry should not No, you're so good at this, though. (laughs) But anyway, Corny Fudge is just like, thus begins the disciplinary hearing of the 12th of August with Harry James Potter of number four Privet Drive. And then he also lists off the interrogators, Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister of Magic. Do you think he just loves saying that now? Oh, yeah, of course. Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister of Magic. (laughs) 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 Amelia Susan Bones, head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. And that's the witch that was supposed to be in charge of the hearing in her office. Mm -hmm. Which we also stated her name sounded familiar and now it's extra familiar because we now know where Harry's classmate Susan Bones actually got her name. Right? From her auntie. Which we don't yet know it's her auntie, but we do learn that later. Yeah. But the name Susan Bones rings the bell. So yeah. Could be your mom, I guess, but... Theoretically. Yeah. And then he says, Dolores Jane Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Minister. <sighs> and we already know to that name. We have some nickname ideas for her. We- <laughs> but she's not going to get it until she really starts to show it. Yeah. You just wait for these. Yeah. They're a coming. They're a coming. Let's put it that way. They are a coming. <laughs> 
But in the movie, we see Harry sitting nervously facing an entire graduating class in their caps and gowns. Because that's what they fucking looked like. Not plum. No, not plum. Well, they were like burgundy. Not plum. (laughs) It wasn't plum. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't plum. No silver W. Definitely no silver W. How do you know what they work for? Right? They must not have been the Wizengamot. They must not have been. They were the locals from the clown college down the road. At least they were graduating. (laughs) I have no idea where I'm going with this. But all the while, we're forced to listen to Corny Fudge droning on and on and on to let us know who's in the room and why, as if anyone in that room doesn't know who the fuck Harry Potter is. He's just being official with it. Like, oh, but dude. It is fairly similar to the book here except for the fact that we don't get the officialness of it he's not mm-hmm. listing everybody off in their roles and we get yeah. a little bit of it but yeah minimized yeah he says his own name because he loves doing that <laughs> <laughs> cornelius oswald fudge minister, minister of magic. magic i'm so amazing <laughs> We get that, but (laughs) that's about as far as we really get. Yeah. In the book, he gets all the way up to court scribe and he names Percy Ignatius Weasley when he's interrupted by a voice that comes from behind Harry. Mm -hmm. And I do want to specify this. (laughs) We've talked about this. It's a quiet voice Mm -hmm. that very quietly and calmly says... (laughs) Witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. And Harry turns and sees the headmaster just serenely striding across the room, wearing midnight blue robes. Calm as you please. Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? Witness for the defense, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Sup, Harry. <laughs> You can't even say sup, Harry. I know. We'll get to that, too. (laughs) Yeah. In the movie, Fudge continues on until he's interrupted by Dumbledore shouting from the back of the courtroom that he is, like we said, witness for the defense. It's even weirder, too, because he does his full name and he's like, Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Brian Dumbledore. Dumbledore. I know. I kind of always liked that in a weird way, but he should have just been that calm the whole fucking time. (laughs) I appreciated the fact that he drew attention to Brian being the weirdest name among all of those other names. That was my whole thing is like, out of all of those names, Brian. Brian. (laughs) But I also kind of like the idea of saying the rest of his name calmly and jumping weird on Brian. Like, just, I don't know. It's just, the whole thing was supposed to be calm. It's specifically in the book says a quiet voice. But you want Albus, Percival, Wolfric, Brian! (laughs) Yes! Dumbledore. Exactly. (laughs) That was so perfect. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) but yes like we just said he goes through the whole spiel of his full name you know brian brian Mm -hmm. dumbledore (laughs) and he walks right past harry as he finishes and harry 
is like, okay, cool. And he's like, I can let my sphincter relax for a second. And he just smiles a bit at the sight of his old hippie headmaster. And he's like, everything's going to be okay. Things are all right now. Things are all right. Everything's coming up hairy now. (laughs) One can only hope. (laughs) Right? So aside from the aggression that Dumbledore kind of shows in the movie that I don't think should have been there. (laughs) The entrance was at least similar. Because he just walks in, walks up next to Harry, gazes at Corny Fudge, Mm -hmm. who looks extremely fucking flustered. He's just like, oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) You got the message about our change in time and place, huh? Did you? Did you? (laughs) And Dumbledore's just like, oh, I must have missed it. But by lucky mistake, I got here three hours early, yo. Right. In the movie, now it's Fudge's turn to clench his butt as he... Which is kind of a ding. Kind of a ding, yeah. But he laughingly kind of guesses. Like, he's almost like, oh, you got our message then, did you? Did you see our message about everything being changed just to fuck with you, you know? And Dumbledore says he didn't, but luckily he doesn't trust any of these bitches. So he made sure to be here early because he figured they'd pull some petty bullshit like that. Which obviously is not what he actually said in the movie. No. I'm paraphrasing. I appreciate your paraphrasing because you know that's what he was thinking. Right? In both the book and the movie, that is absolutely what Dumbledore was thinking. Yeah. You can't tell me otherwise. You want to tell me otherwise? You're fucking wrong. (laughs) The end. Aggressive. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) And in the book, Fudge also has his butt cheeks clenched. Mm -hmm. And he says, I guess we'll need another chair. You think? And he starts to send Percy to go get one, but Dumbledore's just like, nah, I got this. And he just conjures up a squashy chintz armchair, <laughs> which I like to imagine is predominantly purple. Because mm-hmm. that just feels very Dumbledore to me. Yeah. Especially since they described it as squashy and the sleeping bags were squashy and purple that he conjured in Prisoner of Azkaban. So True. I think it was mostly purple. I think he does that. He's a purple guy. That's what he likes. But it's amazing because he just like conjures this chair right next to Harry in his chain chair <laughs> and just sits in it as the whole wizard Gamot is just like, oh, shit. And he just like puts his fingers together and just gazes up at Fudge <laughs> like, please proceed. Like, like he's sitting by the fire, just having a nice evening in. Go on. <laughs> Oh, please, do continue. (laughs) And then as soon as Fudge starts talking again, everybody else gets quiet. And he reads from a piece of parchment, declaring that the accused, knowingly, deliberately, and in full awareness of the illegality of his actions, having received a previous written warning from the Ministry of Magic on a similar charge. And you can't tell me that he did not spend hours writing this perfectly to make it sound as damning to Harry as possible. Oh, of course. Produce a Patronus charm in a muggle-inhabited area in the presence of a muggle on August the 2nd at 23 minutes past 9, which constitutes an offense under paragraph C of the Decree for the Reasonable Restriction of Underage Sorcery, 1875, and also under Section 13 of the International Confederation of Wizards Statute of Secrecy. Well done. I'm telling you. I'm telling you he spent hours putting this together. Oh, yeah. 
to make Harry sound as bad as possible, especially throwing in the having previously received a written warning. Mm-hmm. I got your written warning right fucking here, guy. Right? Suck my written warning. <laughs> yeah, we did not get any of that detail in the movie. Mm-mm. It was sad. Fudge asks Harry if he wants to try and say he wasn't being naughty, and Harry replies no, but gets cut off before he can elaborate at all by Fudge asking if he knew that he isn't old enough to use big boy magic outside of school. But Harry's like, yeah, duh, it's kind of lesson number one. Lesson number two is you do not talk about Dueling Club. (gasps) You just talked about Dueling Club. I mean... But then there's lesson three, which is don't use a cat toy to tease Professor McGonagall because that kitty has claws. But she is the best pud-pud ever. (laughs) She is the best (laughs) pud-pud. This definitely mirrors how the book had it. Mm -hmm. It's not the same, but it gets that very same feeling because in the book we got Corny Fudge asking Harry a bunch of questions to confirm all that information, but not letting him say anything beyond the first word and cutting him off on the second. So Harry gets to say, yes, but a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, are you Harry James Potter? Yes, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you live? Yes, but. (laughs) Did you do magic that you shouldn't have done? Yes, Yes, but. but. (laughs) And he finally starts to get out an explanation. He finally gets more than yes, but out. And it is now the monocled witch who interrupts him. Yeah. But it's actually kind of a compliment. Mm-hmm. She's like, wait, you produced a Patronus? Mm-hmm. Harry's like, yeah. She's like, a fully fledged Patronus? Like it takes form? And he's like, yeah, it's a stag. It's always a stag. And she's like, you've produced a Patronus before? Motherfucker, I'm Harry Potter. He's just like, yeah, Lupin <laughs> taught me in my third year because the Dementor's at school. <laughs> and she's just like, impressive. That's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And there are other witches and wizards in the Wizarding Gamot. All like, yeah, oh, that is really, a f- you're in the fifth year and you fully fledged. Wow. What? And Fudge is over there like, fuck me. I'm losing control of this shit already. And he's just like, it doesn't matter how impressive the magic is. Actually, it does matter. The more impressive it is, the worse it is. I mean, but is it though, guy? Well, some of them agree with him. True. Because there's like witches and wizards now nodding their head along with them. And when Harry sees Percy give this sanctimonious little nod, he just loses his shit. And he's like, I did it because of the Dementors. (laughs) Harry said calmly. (laughs) No, we're not going to pretend he was being calm calm at this point. No, there's no calm. (laughs) I mean, that would set me off too, though. Oh, yeah. Like, it's one thing for Percy to not even acknowledge. It's another thing to have him acknowledge a bad thing. Like, fuck you too, sir. Yeah, the movie definitely did give us that kind of feeling from the book, which is impressive because it's the movie right (laughs) it's not supposed to do that what i would argue that it is supposed to do that (laughs) so as soon as harry says yes to fudge's question yes but (laughs) yes fudge takes it to be an admission of guilt and addresses the rest of the wizengamot as if it's obvious that they now need to sentence the little bastard to death (laughs) but but now Harry is the interrupting cow in this knock-knock joke as he speaks over the minister to inform everyone that he only did the magic so he wouldn't get demented. Knock-knock. Really... Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, Harry is the interrupting cow Absolutely. now. How now, interrupting cow. cow. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title. So, but this is also a ding. It Even is. Even though it happens differently, because we don't have Percy goading him into it. Mm-mm. He does just have to blurt out, I did it because of the Dementors. Yeah, it's still him getting frustrated by all the shit, the shit that they're going pulling. on. <laughs> yeah, all the shit that Fudge is pulling and just being like, no, dude. Dementors! Yeah. In the book, he expects that everybody's going to start muttering, but instead it just gets dead silent. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing at this moment. Yeah, I <laughs> you don't know? either. Because it seems like they're of two minds at this point. You clearly mm-hmm. have the ones that agree with Fudge, and you clearly have the ones that are like, oh. But this is Harry Potter. Oh, Patronus as a fifth year. That's amazing. Yeah. So dead silence in Madame Bones is like, what do you mean, Dementors? And mm-hmm. Harry's just like, there were two Dementors in that alleyway. They went after me and my cousin, and the only thing that I could do, and then he gets cut off by Fudge again, who really wants to be the cow, apparently. Obviously. He's all about being the cow. He says, oh, Dementors, I was expecting something like this. And Amelia Bones just gets really confused. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, oh, but don't you see? Harry decided that Dementors would make a nice cover story since muggles can't see them. It's very convenient since it's just Harry's word with no witnesses. I also love that logic in that I hate that logic. It Side honestly note. doesn't make any sense. Like, why else would he need to produce a Patronus? Right. Like, does he think he's just showing off the Patronus charm to his cousin? Yeah. And also, why is it such a bad thing to do magic in front of a muggle who already knows magic exists? That's what I'm saying, man. Like, they are reaching for this. They are trying so hard to make this stick. And it's even more annoying than it usually is. Yeah. Peak annoyance. It's just, I don't get it. I just don't. Ah, whatever. However, I will give it this much. It is very similar in the movie. Yeah. So there's that. Ding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The whole gallery of wizards starts muttering as one woman speaks up to be like, what the fuck? Dementors in the suburbs. That's some fucked up shit. You know? But Fudge speaks up and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you think you're so clever, don't you? Muggles can't see Dementors, so it's just your word against theirs. And you know what? I'm on to your shit, kid. Yeah, and honestly, the only real difference in this part is the fact that they had the wizards muttering instead of falling silent. Right? Yeah. Other than that, spot on. Mm-hmm. So Harry's about ready to flip his fucking chair. There's no chains on it. So no, that is, yeah. Theoretically, he could have flipped it. I'm sure if he tried flipping it in the book, he'd have been chained up Probably. quick. Yeah. But he tries to explain further and give more details because... Fudge is just being a giant chotch bag and basically calling Harry a fucking liar, liar, pants on fire, who has no witnesses since he's a bulls out liar. That is exactly what he said. <laughs> Again, I'm paraphrasing. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Deleted scene. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Damn that cutting room floor. Which, yeah, this is sticking so close to the book. Mm-hmm. Because Harry's just like, I'm not lying. Yeah. There were really dementors there. And the minister's just like, sorry. Cuts him off. Because of course. interrupting cow. Yeah. 
Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a well-rehearsed story. My feelings exactly. I hate this part. I hate Fudge at this exact moment so much. But on the plus side, Dumbledore is now taking on the cow roll. Yep. And he's just like, ahem. <laughs> As it turns out, we do in fact have a witness to the presence of Dementors in that alleyway. And I'm not talking about Dudley Dursley. It's good times. And this is pretty damn close to the movie. I right love here. how many times we're getting to say that this episode. It's crazy. This is so new and different for us. I'm confused. Oh, it'll be over so soon, too. Right? Hmm. Enjoy it while we can. Right. However, Dumbledore interjects here with a special fuck you gleam in his eyes, telling Fudge that he's about to feel hella foolish since they do, in fact, have a witness. Then all of a sudden, bam! There's Mrs. Fig sitting in Harry's seat as the witch from before starts the questioning by asking her to describe the attack. Now, this does start to veer away. Veer away a little bit, mostly just because we're losing the details. Yeah. And then another slight difference is we don't actually know that this is Madame Bones, even though we know it's Madame Bones. Yeah. Like anybody who's read the book knows that that witch was supposed to be Madame Bones, even though she did not have short gray hair. And I don't believe there was a monocle. No. She was very pretty and blonde. Yeah. She could have at least had the monocle. She could have. I think everyone should have a monocle. I wonder if she was pissed that she got bilked out of her monocle. I would have been. Right? Don't put a monocle in the book and then not give it to me for the movie. Fuck you guys. Right? But anyway, some of the more details that we get here, because it does not jump right into Mrs. Fig arriving. Mm-hmm. We actually have Corny Fudge trying to avoid having to listen to a witness first. Well, that sounds about right. His face slackens. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I don't have time to listen to more teradiddles. Which I love that word. I took that straight from the book and I just have to keep using it. That's an excellent word. Teradiddles. Teradiddle. Like, I don't even know that I've ever heard that word other than in this book. But without any doubt, the context clearly tells me that he's talking about nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's some bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Some teradiddles. Teradiddles. I might have to work that into my vocabulary a little bit more here. I'm going to start saying that to my kid. Just being like, look, I'm tired of your teradiddles. I'm going to start saying it to my husband. There you go. <laughs> Probably my cats, too. It'll get added to the weird things I have to say to Al. Mm-hmm. And you know you're going to say it to me, too. Oh, Katie, I am <laughs> so tired of your teradiddles. <laughs> but anyway, the movie cut out one of my absolute favorite things about Dumbledore. Aside from making him a little bit more intense with his entrance, it also took out... All of this infuriating, not to me, I loved it, but infuriating <laughs> to fudge pleasantness and calmness and logic mm. and, let's be honest, manipulation. Of course. <laughs> that he does to fudge. And it is so beautiful. Yeah. And the movie cut out every single bit of it. Yeah. Not a hint of this ended up in the movie. And honestly, I might cry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rest your head on my teradiddles. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean your wahoos. <laughs> <laughs> my daratiddles. <laughs> <laughs> Wahoo. <laughs> but anyway, so 
Horny Fudge doesn't want to listen to more teradiddles. And Dumbledore very pleasantly tells him that he's sure that under the Wizengamot Charter of Rights, the accused has the right to present witnesses for his or her case. You would think. And then he kind of like addresses this one to Madam Bones as he says it. Mm-hmm. Who's like, oh, yes, that's perfectly true. That's perfectly true. And Fudge has no choice at this point but to agree to hear from the witness. <laughs> Suck it, Fudge. Suck it, corny Fudge. So he's like, very well, where's the witness? And Dumbledore's just like, oh, she's right outside. I brought her with me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that lucky? Do you want me to go get her? <laughs> <laughs> just going to step out real quick. I'm just going to grab her. But just like, no, Percy, you go get her. So Percy goes out to the hall, comes back in with Mrs. Fig, who shows up still wearing her slippers. And Harry's just like, oh, God, she could have at least changed out of her slippers. Shit's just comfortable. Right. And then another beautiful Dumbledore moment is that he stands and offers her his chinch chair before conjuring himself another one. And why? Why? I dig that. I just really want... Harry in the chair with two chinch chairs next to him. <laughs> right. Is that so much to ask for? Is it? Is it? Mm, is it? Mm, is is it? it? I don't think it is. Not at all. But yeah, is it? I just... Harry in a chair with chains on the arms that aren't mm-hmm. binding him, but they're there. Yeah. And two chins armchairs. Mm-hmm. All they need is a, like a roaring fireplace. And a bearskin rug. Probably a dog. And, and a dog, yes. That'd be nice. Or at least McGonagall in cat form. <laughs> <laughs> Family photo. There we go. That's what I'm saying, man. But anyway, we're getting way off topic here. Speaking of non sequiturs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she comes in, sits in the chair. Dumbledore conjures himself another one. He sits down and the minister is just like, your full name. And she introduces herself as Arabella Doreen Fig. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. Yay. She explains that she's a resident of Little Whinging and lives close to where Harry Potter lives. Now, if you're watching the movie, she's across the street. Right. We've only ever heard that she's a neighbor in the book. Mm -hmm. I don't know where exactly that puts her in relation to the house, but she's a neighbor. You figure within walking distance. Right. And Madame Bones is just like, yeah, we don't have record of any witches or wizards living in Little Whinging, especially so close to Harry Potter, considering everything that's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, well, I'm a squib, so you wouldn't have me registered now, would Mm you? And Fudge is just like, a squib, eh? Why don't you leave information about your parentage with us and we're going to be looking into this? Or I could leave my foot in your ass, Fudge. And we can just discuss this over fuck you never. (laughs) She's being pretty amenable to this because she's trying to help Harry. And she's Mrs. Fig. And she's Mrs. Fig. goddamn adorable. I love her. Mm -hmm. He also wants to know if, incidentally, squibs can see Dementors. And she's just like, we sure can. (laughs) Suck it. Once again. I'm not going to lie. So if we ever saw Harry Potter as done by Muppets, (laughs) she's totally Miss Piggy in this scene now. Yeah? Miss Piggy. Hmm. Okay. But anyway, that's beside the point. Fudge is just like, what's your story? And she starts off giving them probably more details than they need, explaining that she was out buying cat food shortly after nine on the evening of the second. 
And she heard a disturbance down that alleyway, the one in question. Mm-hmm. So she hurries her way over there. And she starts to say that when she approached the mouth of the alleyway, she saw two Dementors running. <laughs> and Madame Bones is just like, um, Dementors don't run, they glide. And if you're in the fucking movie, they fly. Right? Fucking bullshit. <sighs> so Mrs. Fig blushes. She's embarrassed by her mistake here. And she's mm-hmm. like, right, that's what I meant. They, they were gliding. They were gliding towards mm-hmm. two boys. And then Madame Bones is just like, describe them. Mm-hmm. So naturally, Mrs. Fig was like, well, one was very large and the other one rather skinny. <laughs> <laughs> and Madame Bones is just like, no, I meant for you to describe the Dementors. I love the confusion for a minute. You're just like, the what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is about the only thing that we got of Miss Fig in the movie, really. Yeah. Which is sad, but it was still adorable. It was still adorable. Mm-hmm. The movie cuts out most of Mrs. Fig's description and just starts with Harry's butt back to being clenched as he listens to the female witch get more specific with her questions, asking what they looked like. Which is a ding. Ding indeed. Mrs. Fig is like, well, one was underfed and one was overfed. (laughs) And Fudge laughs as he clarifies that the question was referring to the Dementors, not the boys. And Mrs. Fig is just like, oh, shit, yeah, them. So, ding. Yeah, we got a ding. The yeah. only real difference in this part, aside from, like you said, the rest of her description was left out, is the fact that they had Fudge clarify the question, not yeah. Madam Bones. Mm-hmm. And I hate the way he, like, laughs at her about it. Like, he's like, not <laughs> the boys, the Dementors. <laughs> Eat multiple bags of dicks, sir. Ugh. Go spelunking in Hagrid's mother's <laughs> vagina. <laughs> Ooh, callback. Right? <laughs> Missed that one. <laughs> but in the book, this correction embarrasses her again. Mm-hmm. And so she's just like, oh, well, they were big and wearing cloaks. And Harry's just like, fuck me. She's never seen anything but a picture of Dementors. <laughs> <laughs> and even you got some of the members of the Wizengamot like laughing at her. Yeah. Whispering to one another. Kind of smirking. Yeah. But Madame Bones is just like, anything else you want to add besides big and wearing cloaks? Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Fig's just like, well, I could feel them. Everything went cold. And this was a very warm summer night. Mm-hmm. And she says that she felt as though all the happiness had gone from the world and remembered dreadful things. Mm-hmm. She doesn't quite come across as embarrassed in the film, but this does stay pretty close. She just says, right, before describing them as big and cloaked. But more than that, they made everything go cold as fuck, and all the happiness was just sucked right out of the world. And this makes some of the crowd look around a bit like, oh, oh shit, she's, she's got something. She's right. She must not be lying. Hmm. Huh. 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 Who'd have what? And this is where we're going to cut off the movie section, because why not? Why not? <laughs> it's also basically where the book section is going to end as well, since we're dividing this in half. 
Mm-hmm. But there's a touch more detail again because after Mrs. Fig starts talking about remembering dreadful things, her voice actually shakes and she just sort of trails off. Mm-hmm. Like she can't even describe anymore. Like it's affecting her. And Madame Bone's eyes widen and getting that, oh shit. Yeah. That's correct. That's exactly right. <laughs> but she actually asks a follow-up question wanting to know what the Dementors did. And this gives Mrs. Fig more confidence because now she can tell that she believes her. Mm-hmm. So she starts describing how they went after the boys and one of them fell on the ground and the other one, which was Harry, was trying. He had backed away and was trying to repel them with a Patronus charm. But the first two times he tried, he could only produce a silver vapor. But then on the third time, he actually made the Patronus appear and had it chase the one away. And then he goaded it to go chase away the other one that was going after his cousin. Mm-hmm. And like this part was very confident and she's just like, and that's what happened. <laughs> I wish we would have had that in the movie. I know, right? I wish we would have. But then we also got Fudge just being really aggressive with her like, oh, is that what you saw? And she's like, that was what happened. Motherfucker. And I like to believe that she said it lamely the first time. That was what happened. And then the second time she was like, that was what happened bitch right always got to add bitch to the end of right? it right always it makes every sentence 28 percent better no matter what sentence it is <laughs> it just does 28 percent. 28 i've done the math <laughs> trust me i will trust you i'm not super good at math but on this one i really tried so i think i got it spot on But since we are at the end of the book and movie section for this episode, and we actually have some new actors to talk about, we'll just keep rolling into our new and returning actors section. First, we can talk about Robert Hardy as Corny Fudge. This motherfucker, I love that I hate him. Right? Do you know what I mean? It is the sign of a good-ass actor. Mm Mm-hmm. An ass actor? (laughs) (laughs) That's a different kind of actor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But really, though, he is the epitome Mm -hmm. of Fudge. And we say that every single time he has a scene. He is just so deplorable in this scene that I'm genuinely pissed that we didn't get more of the shit that he tries to pull. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's done it perfectly with each movie that he's needed to be like... Nailed it. Nailed it. Hard. Because he was just perfect. It was great. Perfect corny fudge. I don't even have complaints. Maybe still the fact that he wasn't in a green bowler hat. Mm. However, in the book, they specifically say he wasn't wearing the green bowler hat in this scene. So So there was that. Can't even really complain about that. Yeah. It was just great. Again, the only thing I got to say is I wish he would have had more lines. Right. You know. I'm going to try and keep this one to a minimum. (laughs) Because next we have Michael Gambon as Albus Percival Wolfric Brian (laughs) Dumbledore. (laughs) Katie did it the way it should have been. Yes. Actually, it should have been Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Oh, Michael Gambon. I know the man is a talented actor and I really want to like him. He just is not Dumbledore. No, I agree. I have to question any actor that goes into a movie that's based off a book and doesn't read the book. Right. 
I don't agree with that. I mean, who am I to tell you how to do your job, but... Maybe a little bit of research? I mean, come on, dude. The one thing I am going to give him is, as far as we know, he did not get any of that super calm, pleasant, manipulative dialogue that he had, Mm -hmm. which shows up more in the second half of this. So we'll talk about it a lot more next week. Yeah. But it didn't happen in the movie. No. That was a book thing. And I think maybe if Dumbledore had been written better in the scripts, he could have gotten a better grasp on the character. However, he would have had a better grasp on the character if he had just read the goddamn book. I don't think there's anything else to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Just plain and simple. Sums it up for me. I'll tell you what. So next we had Sean Thomas as Amelia Bones. Even though we didn't technically know she was Amelia Bones, we knew she was Amelia Bones. And she's credited as Amelia Bones. So and, Yeah, she's credited as Amelia Bones. So technically it works. Yeah. But I mean, I, I kind of loved her. I did really like her, even though she wasn't what I pictured from the book. She came across as the fair and authoritative strong woman that I expected in that role. Mm-hmm. It worked. I just kind of dug her, you know, like where she's going, Dementus, a little whinging. Right. She did have a great voice. Honestly, the biggest thing that bugged me about that wasn't even her fault. She was just sort of randomly sprinkled into the Wizengamot, and I don't understand why she didn't have the place right at Fudge's left side. Yeah, where she should have been. Yeah. But. Whatevs. Not her fault. Yeah. We could make this up. We could be like, Fudge didn't want her next to him because she'd have been like the same height as him because she's super tall already. And Fudge is a short little fuck. And so Fudge moved her. Could be. But that's also why he should have been wearing the lime green bowler hat because it would make him taller. That's true. And lime green distraction. (laughs) Compensating for something, is he? Right. I really (laughs) wish that she had a little bit more. She did get to ask some questions, Mm -hmm. but she did not have the same role that she had in the book. No, not at all. And I think she would have done very well with it. Yeah. Because she did good with what little she was given. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And then even though we've already talked about her once, we do want to talk about Catherine Hunter again as Arabella Doreen Fig. Which was our trivia question. It sure was. Oh, wait, I already did that. Hold on. (laughs) Just in case you forgot. Yep. (laughs) And mostly, I just want to say that, again, we love her. She's so adorable. And we're just upset that we got bilked out of hearing about her going shopping for cat food. And I wanted more of her story. I wanted more of her story. I wanted just more of her cute little voice. And I really, from earlier, wanted her fire. Mm. This was a fiery woman. Yeah. They didn't play that in the movie. Mm -mm. And Catherine Hunter is an amazing actress and she could have totally pulled it off. Oh, yeah, for sure. She could have brought that like nobody else. But they didn't give that to her. As we said, they didn't give that to a lot of the adult actors and actresses. Which is lame, but she did great in this and it would have been nice to see more. Mm hmm. It was wonderful. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, how do you think Dumbledore knew the time and place of the hearing had changed? Hmm. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or 
Call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Jackson Miller. Woohoo! Oh, wait, this isn't the trivia part. Never mind. <laughs> he writes Hi, I'm Jackson Miller from Australia. I am a proud Hufflepuff. My wand is 16 inches made from red gum wood, an Australian tree, with a dragon heartstring core from a dragon called the Antipodian Opali. Very flexible and great for charms. My Patronus is a wedge-tailed eagle. I first started hearing of Harry Potter in primary school. The Harry Potter mania had been going for a few years, but the Philosopher's Stone movie was coming out, and everyone was getting right into it. My grade 4 teacher read us the first book, and while I liked it, it didn't really register. But then the next year, I was 11, Hogwarts age. Coincidence? I got given an old copy of Philosopher's Stone by a friend and was instantly hooked. Reading it myself was a different experience. I've owned about 20 copies of each book over the years, including what I have now, the box set of adult hardcovers, the illustrated versions, and the 20th anniversary house covers. The first thing I'm doing when the COVID-19 crisis is over is planning a trip to the Wizarding World. And you better believe we're going to be meeting you there. Mm-hmm. We're holding you to this, Jackson. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media or just, you know, post it on our Sorting Hat Saturday post on Facebook. Yep. This week's trivia question is, which clause of the decree states that magic may be used before muggles in exceptional circumstances? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word hashtag life-threatening will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 8, the hearing, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.